Hello and welcome to episode 5 of ClickCast, the podcast which aims to amplify the voices and needs of women with lived experience of the sex industry during the coronavirus pandemic. I'm Anna, I'm the development worker with Click and I'm here with my colleague Shannon. Click is a service which supports women across Scotland who sell or exchange sex. We are an inclusive service of trans women and non-binary people who prefer to access services for women. ClickCast is recorded at home, so prepare yourself for some extra sounds like pets and what have you as we look today at the housing needs of women during coronavirus. So hi everyone and welcome to episode five of ClickCast where today we're going to look at housing. Hello Shannon, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, thanks Anna, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you, yeah. It's one of those, what feels like quite rare for Glasgow, crisp sunny autumnal days. Feeling a bit colder today, which actually makes it feel quite good timing I think for us Mm. to be starting to talk about housing as we are moving from that kind of warmer month into the colder months, housing becomes... Well, it's always a priority, but it becomes an even more kind of pressing priority for so many people, I think. Mm-hmm, exactly. I mean, especially during the pandemic where we have all been at home much, much more, been told to stay at home as well as much as we can. And it does kind of make you think about who actually does have access to that, who actually does have access to somewhere safe and stable to actually call their their home right now. Definitely and I think you know one of the things that we're going to discuss and explore today is the fact that housing isn't just a roof over somebody's head. The very notion of home is much more complex and rich than that. It's actually you know a secure stable home is it's one of the basic necessities that we all actually need to thrive in life Mm. and without that so many parts of our lives can become much more stressful much more difficult and sort of I guess much more out of control as well Mm -hmm, definitely yeah and it's like that's like your your base and your foundation isn't it and then we're we're still sitting at a point where in Scotland and kind of around the world like housing still isn't enshrined as a human right so we don't all have like that space to call it own and know that it's always going to be there like housing still just treated as a commodity and you can only really access it if you've got like the necessary funds so definitely and I think the whole notion of what home means has changed slightly as well during the pandemic as you mentioned we've all been asked to stay home um, and Scotland I think has has done amazingly in, in its responses to that but that's definitely been easier for some people than others you know thinking about some people if you've got if you've got somewhere that you feel safe if you've got somewhere that um like is fit for purpose even if you've got something like a garden at the moment then that puts you in a very different position to a lot of the rest of the population so that notion of what what home and housing means has changed even in recent times I think as well there are people who just now and you know prior to the pandemic but you know also now during the pandemic are having to actually make choices financial choices between paying their rent paying their council tax and putting food on the table like none of us should have to be in that position. Like safe housing should really be a baseline that we should all have access to. We spoke to Michelle from Homeless Network Scotland, who told us a wee bit more about how the pandemic has hugely impacted on the housing needs of marginalised communities. For those who were stuck in poor housing situations, there has been no option to move on from those housing situations because understandably social housing has had to grind to a halt completely Um, and while things are beginning to get up and running again now um, it's still extremely slow Um, so there are a lot of people who are in insecure or unsafe situations because of their housing and because they're not able to move out. A step down from that are people who are stuck in temporary accommodation which is often of a really poor standard or in locations where people wouldn't choose to live, which means that they're even further isolated from family and friends and other support networks. And again, because of the lack of movement in the the social housing sector, these people may have already been waiting for a long, long time, 
on a move to permanent accommodation and that has just been further delayed, which I'm sure most of us can imagine on top of all the all the other stress of the pandemic is particularly difficult. And then there's people who have been accommodated in hotels in some of the bigger cities in Scotland. These people are generally those who were at risk of or who were rough sleeping at the beginning of the pandemic. And while we believe that the move into hotels has been has been the right one, there's undoubtedly issues that come along with that. And then, of course, there's people who are currently in the asylum system, which has been a really controversial move, particularly in Glasgow. There's been a lot of media just in the last few days around um, people who were in their own kind of temporary accommodation supplied by um, a contractor and then at the beginning of the pandemic were moved out of that accommodation and into hotels. The additional difficulty for that group of people is that they ordinarily have a, a monetary allowance supplied um, through the Home Office of about £37 a week. When they were moved from their accommodation into hotels, what happened was that allowance was um, was revoked um, because they were being provided food in the hotel, which has obviously just really limited people's freedom um, even more so, and has led to a whole host of, of additional problems within those hotels and for that group of people. And finally, just to mention those who are completely locked out of the system. So people who have their appeals rights exhausted from the asylum system, um, people who have no recourse to public funds are struggling to access um support or accommodation regardless of whether there is a pandemic or not um, what we did see at the beginning of the pandemic was a suspension of of some of those rules which meant that people who had no recourse to public funds were able to access accommodation which is something that we really supported um, and that we hope to see continue i think also to mention people who potentially have found their income decreased significantly um, due to coronavirus, who now are finding themselves at risk of homelessness at a time where there is very little movement in the system and just how difficult that can be as well. Um, a lot of the a lot of the places and services that previously would have operated to be able to provide support just aren't able to operate at the moment. We also know in Scotland that there was a suspension of, of eviction legislation, which meant that nobody could be evicted during the pandemic. Um, however, what we also know is that that didn't, that didn't prevent um, people's rent arrears from accumulating throughout that period. So what you know, potentially could be happening is as we come to the end of that suspension, which thankfully has been extended. But as, as that comes to an end, which it inevitably will, is there going to be a wave of people who have got um, quite high levels of rent arrears because they've been building up throughout the pandemic, who then find themselves facing eviction at the end of that period? But what we also know is that housing has been the first line of defence against this virus. So the ability to self-isolate and the ability to truly social distance relies on having a safe and secure home. Um, and for people who don't have access to that, and bear in mind in Scotland, we all should. We all have a, a legal right to housing. Um, so for some to not have access to what, to what their rights entitle them to, has meant that some of us are simply just more vulnerable than others. As we've already mentioned, housing is always a concern for anyone, 
but particularly it's always been a concern for uh, women who sell or exchange sex. It's an ongoing concern during the coronavirus pandemic, but it's also been a concern for quite specific reasons prior to the pandemic as well. We spoke to Rachel from the Another Way service in Edinburgh, who told us a little bit about some of the issues that the women that she supports faced around housing prior to the pandemic. One of the major um, issues around housing for women that are involved in selling sex is if they're trying to get a lease, um, they're trying to get proof of income, um, that can be really, really, really difficult. Um, similarly, if they're wanting to kind of access housing support from third sector um, services or they're wanting to go through the kind of council housing sometimes just disclosing that they're involved in kind of selling sex can be a barrier um, so that can definitely be a barrier for women receiving kind of accurate housing support and advice. So as well as some of these issues that Rachel's mentioned around being able to get a lease, having to provide proof of income, potentially having to disclose um, that they're involved coronavirus has actually further amplified some of the difficulties that women face in accessing and maintaining a stable place to call home. Here's Rachel again. It's very difficult for women to find housing. It really is. And it's really hard to support women to, to do that as well because getting references, getting a guarantor maybe, or getting, you know, to, to prove they've got income and they're going to be able to pay the rent can be very difficult. And what I've often found is that women end up in really expensive private lets um as a result of that because they'll maybe have a landlord that will accept less if, if they put forward a thousand pounds each month um we've also found women sometimes are renting almost illegally in the sense that there's not a legal um tenancy agreement or a lease which then means they're not really entitled to very much we've had that through covid because they weren't renting from a registered landlord or they didn't have a tenancy agreement or lease it then meant that they weren't eligible for kind of rent support um, so women in covid have found that a kind of difficult barrier sometimes um, for their housing and that's led to them building up you know a substantial amount of arrears women who sell or exchange sex they are not a homogenized group um, they have many different experiences. So you could be talking about a woman who is exchanging sex for a roof over her head or a woman who has her own home and has never had any issues with paying her mortgage prior to the pandemic. Um, some of the women who are supported by Click have let us know via our housing survey that because there's less clients, they're not able to make as much money. And that's something that we have come back to time and time again in this podcast. Just that talking about the fact that for women who sell or exchange sex, for many of them, their income was either dramatically reduced or completely disappeared overnight um, at the start of the pandemic. And that is an issue that continues um, to impact women. So for some women, they are now in arrears with council tax and they're having to repay debt through a debt collection agency. And this is what we've heard through our kind of housing survey. And for other women, they've had to borrow money um, from uh, loan sharks and also having to borrow money from family and friends. And that's not a, a comfortable or easy position to be in. There'll be some women who sell or exchange sex who actually pay two rents. So they'll be paying one rent on their own home and then one rent for a property that they see clients from. Due to the financial hit of the pandemic, some women have had to give up their second property. Um, and for some women, that's meant that they've had to see clients or punters from their own homes. Now, that's not something that every woman who's involved is going to be comfortable with. That could potentially lead to a blurring of boundaries and it could also lead to some safety issues for women as well. For Nick Click, we've been working to try and help women with that sense of home, whether that's about kind of being able to access somewhere safe to live or being able to maintain that safe, secure home that you already have. And so Click have been financially supporting women via two funds, so the Encompass Fund and Victim Support Scotland's Victim Fund as well. And both of these funds have um, been used by Click Women's Workers to support women to cover the cost of rent, but have also been used to help women with energy bills, furniture, appliances, installing security systems. So everything that can turn a house into that safe, secure home for women. But to appreciate the sort of wide ranging housing needs that women who sell or exchange sex are facing, we spoke to other organisations within the Encompass Network to find out more about the housing needs of women they support right now. And we're kind of finding that women had been on waiting lists for months prior to the pandemic. 
and then fast track during the pandemic and there's a lot of questions around about if this could be done now in such a chaotic time why was it not happening before for women and this was something that Jenna a women's working at Vice Versa in Dundee spoke about a lot when we caught up with her recently for an update around the housing situation of some of the women that she's been supporting. These women their housing issues are not a new issue for them lots of these women have had housing issues for years and years and years and have been going through the cycle of homelessness and then being rehoused or in hostel accommodation and then a crisis happening or something going on for them and them being back in back being homeless or roofless even and I don't know why it was that at the start of Covid there seemed to be this really big proactive response from housing like in Dundee hotels were used as homeless accommodation there was this big push that nobody should be sleeping rough anything like that but that seems to have dithered away there's not when crisis happens housing are quite quick to respond because they're obligated to and it's like it's a necessity rather than them being proactive before it reaches that point so and I don't really understand why, if these resources are available at crisis point, why the time and the money that's spent at crisis can't be spent to prevent the crisis in the first place. So whilst this quick allocation at the accommodation can be a positive on a surface level, in the sense that someone has a roof over their head, at a deeper level, the allocation wasn't always trauma-informed. And Jenna explained that some women that she's been working with have actually been removed from temporary accommodation. So some of the women I've been working with have had to make quite quick decisions in terms of their housing. Um, they've had to make decisions between living in hostel where there's been lots of substance use going on that they've really struggled with and then had to move in with some other people who aren't particularly great for them um, just to get away from that living environment. Um, in a situation, there's been women who have moved in with ex-punters, with quotation marks, because it resulted in more swapping, exchanging sex for money, to exchange the sex for housing. Um, a woman that actually ends up in a women's refuge situation, she struggled to engage with them because she has complex needs. She's not the easiest person to engage with because of everything that's been going on. And because of that, they actually had to tell her to leave the accommodation because they couldn't justify her staying there if she wasn't going to engage in support. And that was part of the tenancy agreement. Um, and now she's you know, back living in a hostile situation. And I'm concerned that this cycle will just continue where the situation in the hostel and that living environment with living with lots of people with complex needs gets too much. And then they're forced to make these quick decisions that in the first instance seem like a better situation, but actually don't improve anything for them and just give them another set of concerns or vulnerabilities depending on who they're staying with. So I suppose that sort of shows the cycle of housing issues and women who sort of really struggle to engage with services and have complex needs and to be honest and they just end up in this cycle and she's obviously back to being really really concerned about her substance use. Will that then impact on her involvement in prostitution, her mental health, all those sort of things. Because she's basically back to sort of square one. And it's probably even worse because she knows what she's going back to. And it's just, it's hard for her. And it's, I, I understand the other services point of view, like you have to have engagement from women. But I suppose it's how we get good engagement and balance their actual housing needs at the same time. So just to really echo what Jenna's saying there, having somewhere stable to live is so fundamental to someone being able to access support in the first place for things like substance use. How can someone work on their recovery when they've nowhere safe to actually work through that process? Um, we've heard from other Encompass Network services as well that women have been placed in temporary accommodation with men 
and have then been further exploited by men in that setting. So just to really hammer home that point, just because allocation of temporary accommodation has been fast, doesn't mean that the accommodation itself is actually meeting the rights and needs of women. No, just the stress of securing accommodation or being able to actually afford your rent or your mortgage, but it's that pressure of social policing and women who sell or exchange sex have always been under the pressure of that social policing that is now amplified by the pandemic. That nationwide ban on household mixing, neighbours being at home more and becoming more aware of each other's behaviour, that's actually led to an increase in neighbour disputes during lockdown. And Chief Superintendent Mark Sutherland recently said in an article in the Glasgow Times that um, there's been a spike in antisocial behaviour reports and it's, quote, predominantly linked to public nuisance calls regarding non-compliance with COVID-19 regulations. So being reported to the police has always been a risk for women who sell or exchange sex. Many women have no choice but to con continue seeing clients from their own homes throughout the pandemic, throughout this ban on nationwide um, household mixing. And although the eviction ban has been extended, so the eviction notice period being extended again to six months, um, it doesn't include evictions related to antisocial behaviour. And we know that there's been cases in the past of women being evicted for selling sex from their own home in both private and social housing settings under antisocial behaviour measures. So what protections are there actually going to be for women who sell or exchange sex from their own homes when it comes to this reversion of the eviction ban relating to antisocial behaviour? At this point, I would really like to just thank all the women that have taken part in this podcast and in fact our whole series of podcasts so far and just to say if you are a woman who has lived experience um, of selling or exchanging sex and you'd like to talk to us for the podcast and there are various ways that you could get involved in that you can go to clickmagazine.online and we've got a contact form there you can fill that out or you could also go to rise which is our survey platform and complete one of our anonymous surveys that would also feed into the podcast so thank you so much for your input and if there's anything at all that you'd like to talk to us about we would absolutely love to hear from you So now we've taken a bit of time to think about sort of general housing needs and also those housing needs that are kind of more specific to women who sell or exchange sex. We need to kind of turn now and think about what's being done to actually address those needs. So there definitely have been efforts at the government level and also at the service level to try and ensure that women can access and maintain safe and suitable housing. But the big question is, of course, as always, are these efforts actually working? One woman who was supported by Click and um, who filled out our housing survey let us know that the DWP offered to pay the interest on her mortgage when she wasn't earning enough. But actually, they then would want all of their contribution back if she was to sell her house. So she actually declined that because clearly that's not something that actually was meeting her needs or was supporting her in the long term. Scottish Government has also brought in their own measures to try and meet various housing needs. So the Scottish Government have created their £10 million tenant hardship loan fund. They've also increased discretionary housing payments and they've also um, done that work around the extension of the eviction notice period. So thinking particularly about the hardship loan, that is a loan. It's not um, a chunk of money that somebody's getting and they don't have to pay it back. Um, people will have to pay that back and potentially that is going to lead to more debt when they have to pay it back later and potentially having to pay it back later at a time when people are already stretched really thin financially. There are also other efforts uh, within the Scottish Parliament to kind of push for more change. So an example of that is the Scottish Greens who have been calling for a complete ban on evictions over winter time. We did actually speak to the Cabinet Secretary for Communities, Aileen Campbell, about some of the work that the Scottish Government had been doing. So here she is to tell us a bit more about that. There was some really rapid, quick work that happened to try and um, support people to get them uh, off the streets or to give them some more sense of security and not just a house but a real wraparound service to make sure that people were supported and um and that was done pretty 
pretty quickly and and done in a way that possibly folk wouldn't have thought possible before the pandemic. So the the Harsa group that uh, Kevin has brought together gave us some um, recommendations. But in but I'll, but before that, um, there were some concerns around whether or not we had had enough of a focus on women in our housing policy beforehand, and so I'd got together a grouping of, of women's groups and organisations just to sort of tease out where people felt those gaps were. And while we had intended for that to be a longer bit of work, the pandemic's come in, in, in between times, but what what it has done is enabled us to make sure that the, the, the work that happened as a result of the pandemic has had a focus on, on, on women and, and the particular needs um, that, that they have with our caring roles, the fact that they're predominantly in social rented accommodation that um, might be on, on lower incomes. And, and of course, the women that, 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 you, that you spoke about and what more we may need to do to think about um, how we support support women. And of course, we through the course of the pandemic, I think we, we provided some funding to encompass and, and, and groups like that to make sure that women had somewhere to go to get help and support. Um, but it won't have been easy. It's not. It won't be easy because of the the stigma that's associated uh, with um, with uh, sex uh, sex work and um, and exchanging sex um, and selling uh, as well. So we need to 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 think through whether or not what we've done is enough, and whether there's more that we should be doing and could be doing. And and if there is, then I guess that's that dialogue that we need to establish with you and others uh, as well to make sure that we've got that got that right. Because conversely, you know, in many respects, we've been hearing about families and individuals who are feeling more supported because a lot of the supports that are in place are far more community oriented and based in the community. And I'm not sure whether or not that would be the same for the women that you um, work with because things are so stigmatised and, and there might not be that wanting to, um, to be uh, seeking help. And, and, and we need to, I need to, we need to make sure that we're, we're covering that as best as as best as we can. So thanks to Aileen Campbell there for giving us a bit more insight into particularly some of the sort of rapid work um, that the Scottish Government was trying to do particularly at the, the beginning of, of coronavirus. Interestingly though um, some services that we spoke to have actually found that that rapid response is now beginning to slow down somewhat as we move into the next phase for Scotland. Here's Ashley who's one of the workers from Roots Out which is a service that supports women who sell or exchange sex in Glasgow. Earlier part of lockdown, everything was moving really fast, but now turnaround for updates about rehousing tends to have been a little slower. Also, it was believed that the emphasis that was placed on the more vulnerable in society at the beginning of lockdown is beginning to wane as we move through. As Aileen Campbell mentioned, and as we were saying earlier, financial support has been available for women via Encompass Network Services, via both the Encompass Fund and the Victim Fund, and both those funds have been used to try and meet um, women's various housing needs during the pandemic. The Encompass Fund was originally due to run out at the end of September, but Click have been able to extend their financial support through this fund until December this year. But an important point to point out is that the Encompass Fund is not resourced for significantly high amounts. We can submit applications for higher amounts to the Victim Fund, but a barrier to this is that if we're talking about um, paying rent, for example, women are required to give their landlord details as payment can be as payment is made directly to the landlord and not to the women themselves. And understandably, some women are not comfortable with this in the slightest in case their landlord inquires about why they're needing that financial support to cover their rent at this time and where that financial support is coming from at the risk that the women may need to disclose their involvement or that she's outed. And so this extension of the Encompass Fund until December really doesn't solve that issue of being able to support claims, um, of not being able to support claims for high amounts or support multiple repeat um, applications as well. And it's really, really important that funds like this do receive further resourcing because women have said this financial support that they've received through Click and through other Encompass Network services has taken some weight off their shoulders. Some women who've received the Encompass funding from Click have kindly provided some quotes. So one woman said, I have been so anxious. I had no idea how I was going to pay my gas and electric. I've been sat in the dark the last few days. 
Another woman said, thank you so much for your help and even just listening. I really do appreciate it. Even just to know I've got someone fighting in my corner means a lot. So women have let us know that this fund has been able to kind of take some of that load off for them around about being able to pay essential bills, being able to just not have to worry about the the day-to-day as much. And so we really need that continued funding and support from the Scottish Government in order to keep providing the support to women rather than having it stripped away just as we begin entering the winter. One woman said, it's a shame that we can't get access to a fund like this all the time if we need it. When we spoke to Jenna from Vice Versa up in Dundee, she also let us know about her experience of trying to access housing support via local authorities for the women that she supports. And it sounds like it's been a bit of a mixed bag with some positive experiences, but also a bit of a lack of awareness of the needs of women who Jenna is supporting currently. Those who have been involved in Housing First or received you know, financial support, if that's really like the Encompass Fund or Victim Support Fund or other bits and pieces, they, that's been a more positive experience for them in terms of they've sort of been able to manage. It's, there's been less pressure on them to come up with money, which is obviously half the battle. These funds have basically been a lifeline for these women because they've been able to have gas and electric in their house that they wouldn't have otherwise had. They've been able to do a weekly shop, which they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. And I think if those things hadn't been put in place, then a lot of women would have really, really struggled and probably would have, I'm not sure if this is nationwide or just in Dundee, but there was a lot of concern probably April, May time that women involved in on street were sort of being forced into serious crime to have money pretty much. So I think a lot more women would have been in worse situations if these funds weren't available to them. With local authority, it has been a struggle because there's been a couple of situations for me, for women that I support, that the situations had to reach crisis for there to be any action taken. So despite multiple discussions around women's vulnerabilities, their complex needs, things that are going on for them, which put them at risk, like their safety is at risk in those situations. But because they have all these other issues which are deemed negative, like they're probably not the best neighbour, they're probably not the easiest person to work with, but that doesn't negate their vulnerability. So it's not been until the crisis has happened that there's actually been action taken and it's been a reaction rather than being proactive and responsive and working with the person. They've had to wait until they've got to a situation that was dangerous for them. So actually both these women both ended up in hospital for various reasons. And it was only when that crisis point happened that there was movement in terms of housing. And even then it was quite a long drawn out process. One of them still going on today and that's been about a month. And again, That's going back to that cycle of homelessness and in housing that's not secure. And I do understand staff shouldn't have to put up with abuse or aggression or anything like that. But there's a level of understanding and empathy that needs to come with people in these situations. And sometimes it just feels like it's a box ticking exercise or there's endless amounts of paperwork going over the same thing over and over again. And these women are already quite hard to reach and hard to engage with and pin down and get all this stuff done, especially in COVID times and having to do it all like that. It makes it hard to get all that stuff done. It's not as simple as them emailing you, like that's not the situation. They need support to do all of these things. And it just takes a long time and for it not to be proactively looked at it just seems to go on forever pretty much so one example of bureaucracy we had to go to a meeting with housing it's been a long time coming and we're trying to find this woman appropriate accommodation that actually fits with her needs and is safe for her because she's had a lot of problems um, with housing and other issues with neighbours things like that and 
in order to get to the housing she needs a certain number of points. On her medical form she has the right amount of points. The date on the form was actually from a week ago. Her medical needs on this form will never change. They're chronic, ongoing, lifelong conditions um, that are never going to change. The only thing on the form that's going to change is the date. And in order for her to then regain those points that she already has, um, we have to go through the whole form again, even if though it's all the same information. And for the worker, the housing worker, she had to then go above her, then above her to confirm that it was okay to submit a form that actually has all the same information on it, but a different date. And it just seems like there's these barriers in place that make it even harder for women who already have hard enough lives, are vulnerable to engage with these services. And I feel that without support services to help them navigate the system, it would be pretty much impossible for them to get through it because it's complicated enough for me, never mind someone who struggles to engage, someone who struggles with substance use, trauma, lots of other things where they just want someplace safe to live. And it's as basic as that. When we spoke to Ashley from Roots Out, she let us know about some positives that she's had for women um, that she's currently working with in terms of their housing situation. But for some of the other staff at Roots Out, for the women that they support, there was a few issues to try to get them appropriate accommodation. Two women who are on my caseload have had changes to their living situation during lockdown. The responses of the local authority in housing projects and support have overall been very positive. For example, woman A, she has some very complex vulnerabilities as well as some city restrictions, which meant that the accommodation pool for her was ultimately smaller. However, local authorities as well as housing support were very open to advocacy on this woman's behalf and to work together with myself to achieve a suitable housing alternative for her, which was ultimately the outcome. Woman B, she unfortunately was made homeless due to domestic violence. This all happened very late in the day. But luckily, the protocol that Roots Out have with homeless services meant that emergency accommodation was arranged really quickly by phone and she could go straight there. And then the following day, appropriate women's accommodation was made available to her and she was moved. Once she was there, staff worked very closely with Roots Out to achieve a move on plan that would then lead to more support. And after just one week, she was in a longer term placement with a higher level of support again. Joint working across the board was to a really high standard with everybody being very willing. Other members of the Roots Out team highlighted that with the priority being putting a roof over someone's head at this point, if a woman finds herself homeless during lockdown, the accommodation that she might be initially given is not always the most suitable. It was further added, however, that this was always acknowledged by services and that every effort was made to locate something that was going to be more appropriate for that woman. It was also noted by a member of the team that as we've moved through lockdown, there seems to be a lack of urgency with regards to communication with women who were in the housing process pre-COVID when they're inquiring about applications and timeframes and understandably this leads to frustration. So through talking um, to Jenna and to Ashley and from our own experiences here at Click of supporting women's housing needs, it's really clear then that no two women's needs are the same. Again, women who sell at exchange sex are not a, a homogenous group and they're not going to have um, the same housing needs across the board. And what we what we really need to make sure that the housing needs of all women involved in selling or exchanging sex are met is an open dialogue at that government level. Eileen Campbell was really enthusiastic and open about having a conversation about this and here's what she had to say. Things that we can do is possibly make sure that we've got far better working with organisations like yourself to make sure that we're getting the, the, the direct lived experience, the voices of women and understand what their pressures are and that they're not just swept along with any general decisions that we take that might not have got the nuance of of what women are experiencing so if there are things that we or you or, or women feel that are not quite working the way that they should then i'm be happy to kind of 
have further dialogue and exchange to kind of consider what 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 different approaches we need to to think through um and but the other thing then that might flag up to me is that that we need to be doing in government is a lot more of that cross-cutting work to make sure that um just because the portfolio responsibility sits with one minister that the the that life doesn't unfortunately <laughs> behave like that it doesn't just fit neatly into one ministerial portfolio and so um again i i think i would invite invite you and others to, to to let us know if there are gaps and that there are if there are real challenges and struggles that women are are facing and what we then need to do to corral local authorities police and others to try and get into a place where we're acting proportionately and, and, and in a supportive way eh, as well and, and making sure that women are able to navigate and get the support they need which is probably a, not a, a really kind of it's not I suppose it doesn't give you kind of a, a list of concrete actions but I think that the, the, if there are from my point of view there is a willingness there to make sure that we're getting things eh, right and that we've got that dialogue to make sure that we can shape things eh, in, a, in, a, in a reasonable way for, for women. The Encompass Network will be and definitely have these conversations to ensure that the voices of all women who's, who are involved in selling or exchanging sex are involved at that kind of government decision making level to make sure that any changes are being made about housing rights, rights right now and any changes that are being made around evictions aren't being made without considering how they would impact upon women's lives. If you're a woman who's involved in selling or exchanging sex, who would like to make your voice heard about any of the housing issues that we spoke about today or anything that we might have overlooked or missed, you can let us know via our anonymous housing survey at clickmagazine.online. So it's clear that there is some good practice going on, there is maybe some less good practice going on, but definitely I think what we can all agree on just now is that there are changes that need to be made in order for um, the housing needs of women who sell or exchange sex to be met. Something that we've noticed actually in our kind of researching of this podcast and in reaching out to interviewees is that we've not had a huge uptake from external agencies for this podcast. That's not to say that we're not grateful to um, the services um, and people who have taken their time to be part of the podcast. But I just think it's something that's really worthwhile bringing up here and um, that some of the really bigger housing organisations didn't want to be involved or for whatever reason, didn't feel able to be part of this conversation around housing and the rights and needs of women who sell or exchange sex. This just kind of makes me reflect like, is this, due to like a reticence on the part of the housing sector to discuss these needs of women. Whatever's at the bottom of that, it does flag up something slightly concerning there for me. No, definitely. And it could be that it's um, maybe a, a feeling of a, a lack of confidence maybe to speak on this issue. Maybe some housing organisations aren't feeling that they, they can speak to it. I mean, it's only very recently that um, Scottish Women's Aid produced guidance around domestic abuse in housing, which is an issue that is one of the main causes of homelessness for women and children and has been um, for years and years, but we're only just sitting with guidance now. So is it that the sector is only now becoming more aware of housing underneath that, that gendered lens? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important that we don't take away from, from good work that is happening and good practice, such as that, that guidance document. But for me, then it just, it, it makes me wonder where are the voices of women who sell or exchange sex? If there is anyone listening who's involved with housing who would like to enter into this conversation with us at Click, then we would absolutely love to speak to you. And I'm sure there are many people involved in housing who would like to be part of this conversation. Then you, you can contact us via the contact form that you can find on clickmagazine.online and we really would love to hear from you. When we spoke with Ashley at Roots Out, she let us know that they have a few recommendations for the future of housing, particularly about women accessing emergency accommodation. The most obvious is quicker response times and point of access resolution and an availability of female specific services which understand the specifics and often complex needs of women. 
Some form of protocol where vulnerable women have better paths to access to housing and homeless services, such as that that Roots Out has with homeless services in Glasgow, which removes many, many of the barriers that women have to present as homeless, such as presenting at casework and having to potentially sit there the full day to hopefully access accommodation. Some women just emotionally and mentally just cannot do this. And on a practical level, it often prevents them from attending or leads to them missing other appointments and commitments such as attending pharmacies for opiate replacement treatment. All too often what it does is it creates a problem while we try to solve another. Consistency is the big thing. Consistency across the entire process. Assessment, allocation and accommodation. And when we spoke to Jenna from Vice Versa, she was really passionate about an increased awareness of the needs of women who sail at exchange sex, particularly among staff in temporary accommodation settings and also housing officers more generally in order to prevent evictions from temporary accommodation or social housing. There definitely needs to be training around gender-based violence in general, being trauma-informed, being you know, aware of complex needs and recognising people's vulnerabilities and being able to be proactive around those issues and not waiting until it reaches crisis. Um, like I said before, I totally understand workers shouldn't put up with aggression or abuse or anything like that, but there also needs to be a space for people to explain their situations, feel safe with sharing that information and that you're not just sitting there filling out a form when they're telling you all these really personal things that have happened that make it hard for them to engage with services or why their housing situation has been so complicated and distressing for them. A lot of the housing organisations you know, claim to support, like, be, well, to be involved in the equally safe strategy, the claim to be supporting towards women. Most of the stuff I see is generally based around domestic violence, which obviously is important and should be recognised. But I feel like workers need to recognise violence and that women who are vulnerable, women who have faced gender-based violence, sexual violence, of complex needs do not always present as vulnerable. Sometimes they come in with an attitude they're not this like we shy, timid, we women crying that comes in. But the reason that they're like that is because they've had to be like that to survive. They've had these life experiences that mean that if they did not present like that, they wouldn't have made it this far. Um, and the way that they present and, you know, anything negative in their history of housing, so like noise complaints or, you know, fighting or arguing, on occasions with neighbours, that doesn't negate how vulnerable they are. It's just another aspect of how vulnerable they are and why they have to present in the way they do. And it's easy for me to say that because I'm able to work with them on a more personal level. And I do understand that housing staff don't have that relationship with women, but there needs to be that basic underlying understanding that there's a lot going on for these women and just because they don't get on with a neighbour doesn't mean that they're not vulnerable. It means that they've been in probably not a great situation. Jen also has some recommendations at that wider local level and at that broader government national level as well. We need to invest in these people. Like this isn't like a short term situation. It's not like once they get a flat that's some done that's them sorted. There needs to be investment in people if you want people to be able to recover and get out of these situations and support needs to be available for them. So it comes down to funding support services too because I mean up until about two months ago we didn't know if vice versa was going to exist and if it didn't exist there would be no specialist support for women involved in commercial sexual exploitation. And I suppose as well, the funding that's come from COVID needs to probably be longer term 
if we didn't have extra funding, if we didn't have Encompass funding, if we didn't have, you know, all these extra bits and pieces that other services have been provided with, like to help with like gas and electric or extra food parcels, things like that, there would be a lot of people in Scotland, not just women involved in selling sex, struggling and not being able to get by. I suppose it's women knowing what their rights are and being able to express that to for services to be able to advocate on their behalf around these issues and for the service they're advocating to to understand what their obligation is to work with and for vulnerable women as well it's near impossible to understand or know what your rights and the, the council's responsibility for you when you've been stuck in that cycle and you just think well that's it for me that that's the only option when actually there's women out there that are extremely vulnerable who deserve and need more than that not just the most basic responsibility from the council just stick a roof over their head it's not as simple as that if you want people to recover and you're dedicated to supporting women and being part of the equally safe strategy there needs to be more than just that basic here's our room because it's not as simple as that. So Jenna's suggestions for increased awareness among housing staff of women's needs was actually really echoed by Michelle from Homeless Network Scotland as well. I'm not convinced that the levels of knowledge and awareness are where they should be amongst housing and homelessness staff and I include myself in that. I think there's just a real lack of awareness of, first of all, that kind of the variety of, of what can be going on. So I think traditionally we have an idea of, of what sex work is um, and kind of what what that is for a woman to sell sex. But we also know that in 2020, there's so many different different variables. And I just think what's really what would really help people to better meet the needs of these women is more awareness and a better understanding of, of what it actually is to sell or exchange sex. So what the drivers are behind it and what the legality is. I think that's really, really key is, is to understand that women should not be um, discriminated against because of that, particularly not um, from their housing provider. There's another issue at play here around you can have a staff member who fully understands um, a woman's situation, who has, you know, really invested time and effort into sort of that, that knowledge and understanding and, you know, provide a really empathetic response. However, if there's not housing there that is suitable for that woman that meets her needs, then we can see that there's like a wider systemic issue at play here. So it's not just enough to upskill staff and individual services, it actually needs to be backed up on a much wider and kind of, you know, strategic governmental level, not just by commitments, but by actual, you know, housing provision, that there is enough housing um, and that, that that housing is suitable for a wide range of people and their needs. And this, this real need from, for action, not just at a service level, but, you know, action from a sort of governmental level is something that housing charities and activists um, have understandably really been picking up on. So, a lot of housing charities and activists are saying that you know that extension of the eviction notice period just isn't enough in and of itself what we need is things like more affordable and social housing and rent controls um, something that really kind of puts this into stark relief is new findings from the Edinburgh Poverty Commission who found that one in three families in Edinburgh are living below the poverty line due to housing costs and that's compared with one in eight households in poverty across Scotland. The fact that that's due to housing costs and high housing costs I just think is completely unacceptable. I think that really shows that actually governmental approaches need to be tailored um, to suit the needs of specific local authorities. Um, and I guess that the government needs to be working really, really closely with those local authorities to come up with solutions that work at a local level that is appropriate to that local area.
The third sector is so important in bringing people's voices and lived experiences to decision makers. Michelle from Homeless Network Scotland let us know a bit about the Everyone Home Collective and let us know what they think needs to change to actually meet the housing needs and rights of everyone in Scotland. So the Everyone Home Collective have outlined sort of three key objectives that need to be made a reality to create this kind of better society that we all want. The first one is more homes for good health, that we want to prioritise homelessness prevention and create as much housing capacity as we can now and make a long-term commitment to increase the supply of homes for social rent. So we know that there's a lack of social housing in Scotland. I think shelters research um, evidence that there's a, a need of 37,000 um, homes for social rent in Scotland which is you know, quite, quite a large number. And while that will take time, what we can do in the meantime is maximise the capacity of what we already have. So that's things like um, looking at empty homes, working with private landlords to, to create the attitudes and, and kind of the right environment to make that a, a safe housing option. And think about things like flat sharing and other preferred arrangements that are, that are more common among young people. There's lots of different things that could be done. The second objective is that there should be no return to rough sleeping. So we want to permanently prevent a return to previous levels of rough sleeping in all areas. And we know that in some areas of the country, this is a much bigger problem than others. But anywhere where someone is rough sleeping, it is a problem. So that's going to need a lot of a lot of work, um, some of which has already been kind of outlined in some of the work of the collective, where they're looking at changing how night shelters run. So basically ending the need for night shelters and hotel provision in Scotland, which is very ambitious, but absolutely the right thing, the right move to make. And the third objective is around having no evictions into homelessness. So we want to see no evictions into homelessness, the end of avoidable evictions and the threat of illegal evictions. I think it's important at this point, particularly for people who work in housing, um, to point out that this doesn't mean no evictions at all. We understand that there are certain scenarios where an eviction has to happen, um, but an eviction is a planned event. So there shouldn't be a scenario where a household is being evicted and there is absolutely nothing put in place for after that eviction. And that includes an end to evictions into homelessness from asylum support accommodation, which is just one of the kind of designed in parts of the system that is particularly cruel. And then alongside that, we obviously have Scotland's Ending Homelessness Together Action Plan. So a new version of that was published just at the start of October. Um, it's extremely big, so I'm not going to start outlining parts of it now. Um, but there are there are some some really progressive things in there um, that would make a massive change to to the system at the moment. And I think it's really encouraging that that's the kind of leadership that our government is showing and I think the challenge is just in the implementation of that plan so we have the the will at the top is 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 in our favour it's going in the direction that we want it to we know that people who are working on the front line have got the best will in the world it's just about joining up to make sure that those plans become a reality because that is what is going to then result in us having significantly less homelessness in Scotland with the aim of having absolutely no homelessness in Scotland. Bearing some of these kind of more like national governmental level recommendations in mind, we spoke with Eileen Campbell um, and we really spoke with her about how housing can be at the centre of Scotland moving forward. And she spoke about housing not just as being like a roof over your head, but actually about something that's more holistic and much more central to our individual well-being. So something that is actually about this as a kind of wider notion, so a wider notion of ensuring equality, but also as somewhere that is a space to flourish, not just meeting our rights and needs. The notion of home became very, very different. It was became a place, a public, a public health a tool to fight the pa the pandemic, and that was that's grand if you have somewhere that's safe and secure to 
to be at home and to be safe and uh, and to, to try and um, help the effort to try and suppress the virus. But that then shone a light on the fact that if you are homeless, you don't have that place to go. Or if you're um, at, at home in a high rise with your young family, that you become quite isolated and you don't have the same uh, advantages uh, of a garden or the outside space. Or if you feel that home isn't safe for you anyway, then that's somebody somewhere that you wouldn't want to be stuck. And uh, so there has been loads of things. There's been the, the issues around asylum seekers who have been weaked out of where they had been and put into hotel accommodation without that kind of feeling of being consulted or understanding what was going on around them. Uh, there has been uh, domestic uh, abuse and violence has also become a, a challenge about how do we engage with, with women or whoever's experiencing that violence um, because they're now stuck where they were experiencing that violence and, and you know, they're no longer safe. Um, and, and then there's the other things around you know, garden space, uh, outdoor space, access to amenity, places for you to walk and go and enjoy. If you don't have any of those things, then your ability to cope with the pandemic over the last six months has going to be uh, negatively impacted. And, and so there's loads of questions that this throws up when we're thinking about people who have varying degrees of, of vulnerability. So maybe more generally, again, we could have endeavoured to try and consult on a, a route map to make improvements to Scotland's housing system, set out an ambition for housing up to 2040. And, um, and this is again sort of tested some of those principles and visions that we were, we were working through. So we're hoping to publish that route map uh, later this year with an idea of taking Scotland's current approach and you know, making it, improving it, making it better, making it work for everyone. And, um, and these things are going to uh, have to be factored factored in um but but yeah i think housing has become has become really really important people's homes have become become important and also the recovery of the country as well you know if we build more social housing then that creates jobs as well so again you know this is what we often say about housing it's more than just bricks and mortar it impacts on so many elements and aspects of our lives that it, it would be um it would be it would be it really does require us to to, to recognize the holistic benefit we get from safety and warmth and, and security in a home and and how do we endeavor to make sure that everyone experiences that no matter their background or or, or whatever you know um it's same um, yeah it's become really really important and um again underlines the inequality that exists so what do we do do we accept that do we just tolerate that or do we have to take a deep breath and make the big changes that we need to and I think we're probably in that space where we want to do the latter. Even though we're talking about housing as being a really key part of Scotland's recovery from coronavirus it's kind of the word recovery kind of implies as if coronavirus is something that's happened to us and it's in the past and now we have the space and the time to pick up the pieces and move on but the rising cases and the what seems to be constantly changing restrictions show that isn't the case. Nobody knows whether we're nearing the end of this pandemic at some point in the middle or still working through the beginning. Coronavirus isn't over, but one thing that's certain is that improvements to housing can't wait for it to be over. Housing needs to be a key part to economic and social recovery in Scotland and the groundwork needs to start happening now. And we've already seen positives of that happening. It needs to continue. And something that we would really love to see continuing is a commitment from the Scottish Government to supporting women's needs in the short term through, for example, spe uh, specific funds for women who sell or exchange sex, like the Encompass Fund, like the, the way that the Victim Fund has been able to adapt to meet women's needs as well. But it goes beyond um, the Scottish Government, it goes beyond individual services and their provisions as well because some of the bigger systemic issues like barriers to access and other forms of financial supports like universal credit, it's not a devolved issue that lies with Westminster and the Department of Work and Pensions and they need to be looking at what this means for women who sell or exchange sex in the longer term as well. So really there's not just one straightforward solution to all this, it's all part of a wider progress really of enshrining housing as a human right and that looks like more affordable housing, more social housing, rent controls, 
also kind of accompanying that the support being available there for women that wraparound support if women need it with staff either in specialist services or more generally in mainstream housing services being aware and comfortable um, with meeting the rights and needs of women who sell and exchange sex there needs to be that awareness there to help women involved in selling and exchanging sex to maintain a safe and secure home if they need that support but a really important point like we were saying before an awareness of women's needs isn't necessarily going to affect what staff can offer and awareness can't just magic housing up out of thin air so what this means then is that housing as a human right needs to be at the core of change at a service level in Scotland at that local authority level and a government level and this all needs to happen in order to meet the needs of women who sell or exchange sex but the only way we can have meaningful change around about housing and make sure that the housing needs and rights of women are actually met is by ensuring that women with lived experience of selling or exchanging sex are included in all of these conversations. And if you're a woman who has lived experience of selling or exchanging sex, you can make your voice heard at clickmagazine.online. You can take part in our anonymous surveys on the RISE platform. You can take part in this podcast, whether that be through an interview or by an anonymous quote, whatever works for you. And you can also take part in Together Alone, our wellbeing arts project as well. We really can't wait to hear from you and to hear what you think about some of the issues that we spoke about in this series. So that's it for episode five of ClickCast. Thank you so much to all the women and services that took part in this episode. And thank you so much as well to you for listening. You can find all the info on the services that we mentioned in this episode, as well as the articles that we refer to in our show notes. And can get in touch with us as well at clickmagazine.online. We'll be back next month where we'll be talking about sexual health, discussing how the pandemic has affected women's access to sexual health care, and what women want to see improve in sexual health care provision going forward in Scotland. Thank you very much to Purple Planet for providing the intro and outro music for this podcast. <laughs>